Oh my god, I'm chills. What happened? Oh my god. Oh, I just can't. What? Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Friends. Oh shit, sorry. I was just saying hello, friends, so there's nothing to get all shit sorry about. <laughs> well, I interrupt you too much. Hey, y'all, I'm Rachel. I'm Rebecca. I will be telling my story. If you're new here, welcome. We are identical twins who love true crime stories with a plot twist or a shocking turn of events or something like that, and we hate the people who are responsible for them. That's right. We love a survivor. We love a, whoa, didn't see that coming. That's you know. our goal. Our goal is to make you say, whoa, didn't see that coming on every episode. So welcome. Here we are. I'll be telling my story today. Again, this is Rebecca. I'm Rachel. I'll be listening. Um, there are no new updates. Actually saying that's our goal for every episode reminded me of, I think, episode three of S-Town. Who's with me? Oh, my God. Yeah. When I was listening to that on the way to work. I pulled in the parking lot right as the bomb dropped, which actually at this point, if you've not listened to S-Town, it's, I'm just going to spoil it. When she goes, JB killed himself. And I'm like, I was at the pool. I remember where I was. I was at the pool laying out and I gasped so loud. It scared the person next to me. I was like, oh, what? And I remember the podcasters, which I don't even remember his name. I remember his reaction. I was like, And I just, oh, oh, it gives me goosebumps. I'm like, oh my God. And then I kind of stopped listening. <laughs> well, the whole series went downhill after that, but it, I, I like had to gather myself in my car. I was yeah. like, wait, I wasn't crying, but I was just shocked. If anyone pulled up next to me, they would have been like, oh my gosh, she just got really bad news. Well, because there were like 12 episodes and that was episode three. So I was like, what is this about then? So I got it intrigued was, and then I was... I mean, a lot of people liked it. It just wasn't my thing. After that, I was like, wait, what's the point of this podcast now? Like, it was nothing. It wasn't really about anything. But that, that was a throwback. We, we forgot we wanted, about S-Town. We want that to be your reaction in every episode. That would be so uh, hard. That would be so hard and too much pressure. So you stop that. Sorry. Um, no patrons to shout out this week, so screw y'all. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. No, um, but we can't. You can buy merch on the website if y'all want. People are the worst T-shirts. It's a PSA, really. You're providing yeah. a service if you wear it. <laughs> That's true. And hit that download button. Not just play if you can. That'd be great. One sad story is that Robert Hoagland missing. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, man. If y'all haven't heard this, Robert Hoagland went missing in 2013. He was last seen at a gas station. I think he had, he had breakfast with his son, and then he went to a gas station. He's on surveillance camera. He's smiling. He's laughing with, the I think, a gas station attendant. And he vanished. He left his car, his credit cards, his medication, his cell phone, and he was never seen or heard of from again. And this past week, they found him dead. In New York, he went missing in Connecticut, where his entire family is. They found him in New York 10 years later, dead. And he was living as Richard King this entire time. He just, like, created a whole new identity. Created and out a of, whole like, new life. 
that of like natural causes, nothing. Yeah, and then no, there's no foul. There's no foul play expe- uh, involved. But there won't, and I keep like googling it to be like, what happened? Because his family is like flabbergasted. There's like an episode in um, on Oxygen about him, and his family's like sobbing, like he would never run away. He's, if you have him, please come for it. It's just, it's insane. And I keep Googling, trying to get more information. And they said that they're not going to release any more info. The family's not going to. They, they, it's a mystery to them. The son, Christopher, has said, like, I have we to go know. back to New York. We don't know any details. But I'm like, but when you do, could you please advise? Because this was like oh. national news in 2013. Well, no, they don't have to. I know. Rev, I'm, I'm just kidding. I know. But I'm with you. I want to know. That's so bizarre. What was he doing? What was he doing? It's so crazy. Why did he run away? Why did he do that? He didn't take anything with him. Was it? He was supposed to pick his wife up at the airport the next day, and he didn't show up. That's why she called the police to be like, "He's something's wrong." He would have picked me up. I just, it's I'm flabbergasted by this. That's crazy. Maybe it's like a dissociative fugue. I know. They say I know. You're right. But they said um, he left his medication. So I'm like, what medication? But yeah, of course, it's none of my business, but like, can it be my business? Because I'm dying to know. Can I insert myself into that search? Please. Yeah. Yeah, that one's crazy. Of course, per usual, no new real updates on Idaho. They're still looking for this white Hyundai Elantra, which now they're looking for it because it was parked at the scene or near the scene of the crime. And then it was seen on surveillance around 345 a.m., hauling ass past a gas station cops then i think yesterday or two days ago got more surveillance from a liquor store that we haven't seen yet but i think the car must be in it at this point like originally they were like we want to talk to this person because they may have seen something they don't realize i'm sure they were just saying that so they're not like we're suspecting something sketchy here so they would come forward but now it's like solidified if you're innocent and you're like oh shit i do if i lived in moscow and had a white anything. I'd be like, just so you're aware, here I am. Yeah. Here's what I was doing. Go ahead and clear me because I'm sure anyone parked behind me is going to be calling in my license plate. It's me. I'm good. Right. This this fucker's on the run. We got to yeah. find him. We got to find him. <laughs> <laughs> and then Payne yesterday was like, my Payne's dad's her husband. Ta- oh, sorry. It's Payne's my husband. He was like, dad's talking about going to like my great aunt's 96th birthday. I was like, where? Because he wants all of us to go. And he was like, Idaho. I was like, wait, okay. Where? I know. He was like, I was like, where? And he was like, are you asking so you can figure out proximity to Moscow? I was like, yes, yes absolutely. What, why else would we be asking? And it was Boise. I was like, I think that's pretty close. Is and I don't it? Think we're, I think so. We're not going though, so it doesn't matter. Oh, I'll be the first one there. All right. Like, can I get into my story now? Uh, sure. <laughs> Still Thank going. You. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's funny. That's a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) That's very valuable content to our listeners. That's great. That's great. (laughs) All right, my story, people. So now I am doing the story of Megan Landowski. And this one's a doozy. You think you've got it all figured out, but you don't. So stop. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. You don't know shit. I'm going to Google it as you're talking. I think I do know it, though. (laughs) Are you serious? No, I don't know. I'm just trying you to throw not. you off because you always do that to me. Look, I can't wait for a day where I don't know your story too. So <laughs> I have one. It's coming. Mm-hmm. I know. All right. Megan Landowski was 16 years old from Portsmouth, 
Virginia. She had a brother and a sister and lived with her mom, Angela, and her stepdad, Chris, both of who she was very close to. She even called Chris dad, I think. So, And she loved to dance, particularly ballet. She had a ton of friends, nice to everyone and hilarious. During an interview, her friend was even laughing that Megan would joke with her dance team that her balls hurt, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> meaning the balls of her feet. So uh, she had jokes. Yeah, she had jokes. Okay. She was uber energetic and talkative. Her family had a running joke where they would put on it, put five minutes on a timer to see if Megan could go without talking and said every single time she failed. So she just seemed like very personable and bubbly. Yeah, good personality. Yeah. I don't know if we could, I could do that. Whatever. Go on. Yeah, I have a lot to say. One day in April 2008, Megan got out of school at noon. I think on Thursday, Thursdays they got released early. I'm not sure why. She was home before anyone else, and around five, Chris, her stepdad, came home from work and found Megan covered in blood, with no pants on, and her throat had been slit. A terrible, terrible way to find your teenage daughter. Right. Sergeant McDaniel comes to the scene and realizes that he knows the victim and her family. We'll get their pipe down. Megan had been sexually assaulted, bound, and stabbed 43 times. This was the last day that Megan's family went inside that house. They moved out immediately. Oh, I would too. Yeah, I would too. The police were able to determine that the attack started in her bedroom based on the blood trail. Her underwear and the roll of tape were on the floor in her bedroom with blood on them. Sheets, pillows, blankets had blood all over them. She was able to escape, run downstairs into the kitchen where the killer grabbed a second knife from the butcher block that was on the counter and finished his attack. Seven of her stab wounds were inflicted after she died. Oh, my God. Calm the oh, fuck down. I know. I always wonder how police know that. Like, how do they know? Ew, I don't know. I'm always so interested in that. That's so interesting. But awful. The footprints, bloody foot, footprints, then showed that he walked out the front door covered in blood in the middle of the day. So, per our last episode, when you mentioned you don't think the Idaho killer could walk out in the middle of the night covered in blood, well, this guy did it in the middle of the day. Maybe like Tim Hennis, he had a jacket that's removable. We don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, don't know those, I don't know, though. I don't One know. One of those non-permanent coats, you don't know. That's very unrealistic. <laughs> that's a stretch. So, rewinding back to Megan's life and days leading up to the murder. Freshman year, she got into an art program for dancing, so she was surrounded by very talented people. Halfway through the school year, her grades started slipping, though, and she was starting to kind of rebel. Even her friends noticed that she was withdrawing. She was emotional, seemed sad, just acting completely different. Her parents thought the new school was the problem, so they switched her back to public school, which she was actually all for. She loved her dance program but really missed her friends, and she was able to be on the dance team there, so it was win-win. But a few weeks in, nothing had changed. She started hanging out with a rougher crowd. When she came home from school, all she wanted to do was sleep, which set off huge red flags to her parents. Now, as a former 16-year-old, this seems so normal to me. You know, the teenage angst. Yeah, for sure. Ours was probably foreseeable. Could probably tell, like, at age five, we'd be, like, moody-ass teenagers. But not (laughs) Megan. This was not the case. (laughs) That is rude. Uh (laughs) I'm sorry, man. It was too drastic of a change to not be taken seriously. Her parents knew she was going through something but didn't know what it was or how to handle it. They pulled her out of dance class so she could focus on getting her grades up, but nothing was working. And actually, it was getting worse. What? Well, like, they were close. Have they been like, hey, what's wrong? Oh, I'll get there. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you know, I bet it's kind of scary when you're like, 
you've known, you've been so close to your daughter. She's bubbly. She's fun. She's a good girl, good school, student, good whatever. And then she starts rebelling. Rebelling. You don't want to like push her out. I don't know about being like, no, you tell us what's wrong. You're like snooping or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, remember how well you handled that? My mom did that. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I was receptive. I was, (laughs) I took the constructive criticism very well. Didn't tell her to fuck off. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And mom was scared of you. So, oh, sad. Oh, God. I have a daughter. It's all coming. Oh, I know. I know the tricks. The that question though, I'm I'm like, should we cut it because it reminds me of, I won't say the podcast, but when the host is like, well, did anyone try to call her when she didn't show up for work? Like it's just <laughs> so obvious. That was not a planted question. No. I was just curious when we were getting there. <laughs> oh my god, no. Yeah, no, well, it didn't, didn't sound show like up that. for work. Well, Wait, did someone well, try to call her? No. <laughs> Oh my God. Where were you during this murder? They could have used that type of thinking then. So back to my story. Things were getting worse. Chris and Angela drug tested Megan and she tested positive for weed and she was fighting more and more with them. So one day Chris was really fed up and here's what answers your question. He's really fed up and said, if you don't tell me what's going on right now, you're going to be severely punished. And he's never threatened her before, but he told her, quote, her but would be blistered if she didn't fess up. All right. So she told him something that made the grades, the pot, the attitude seem so petty because the problem was so much worse than he thought. She told her stepdad that his best friend, Rob Hickey, had been touching her. Oh, my God. This Ooh. poor little girl. She is 16 years old. Ugh. Oh, my God. My stepdad's like, say no more. <laughs> right. Don't get my gun. Hold my beer. Where's my gun? Yeah. No, I don't even need my gun. Here are my bare hands. I'm just going to bring these with me. Uh Uh-huh. What? Shut up. The the name, is that true? Is that what he does? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, but props to him for not going over there to stab him in the neck. Sure. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I was saying strangle. I know, but I'm saying he should stab him in the neck. Yeah. Uh, I thought you gave me that face like, Wow, you really nailed it. I know that name, though, Rob Hickey. I know I know the story. Screw you. I'm back. What's up? Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Okay. No, you don't. Rob Hickey was in his 30s, a married father of four daughters, and a Navy health specialist who was on his way to become captain. Their families hung out together all the time. So instead of going over there to stab him in the neck in front of his (laughs) entire family, Chris calls Angela who seems a little skeptical at first, but I think she just really wanted to make sure it happened since this is such a serious accusation. And she does believe her. So that afternoon, they take her down to the police station to file a report. They are not these type of parents to sweep it under the rug. They are ready to ruin this guy's life. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, Anyone would. Okay. So that's when she, that's when Megan meets Sergeant McDaniels for the first time. The same Sergeant who's first on the crime scene. He said oh, that okay. she was very uncomfortable talking to him about it, which, duh, of course, she's a child. But McDaniels reminds her there's nothing that she can say that he hasn't heard before. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Like, think sweet cop things. Sure. So she says that Rob Hickey started paying her special attention at age 14. He, he would tell her how pretty she was, 
always catching her by herself, having these long conversations, which apparently is a groomer's way of getting her used to being around him without her parents. And initially she kind of thought she was kind of flattered that an adult was giving her this type of attention that wasn't her parents. Then a few months after that, he kissed her for the first time. This is very upsetting. I know, he's a human fucking Amber Alert. Ew. Then after she turned 15, the relationship got sexual. But get this creepy ass fact. Sergeant McDaniels tells Chris and Angela they would only be able to charge him with a misdemeanor because in Virginia, while an adult having sex with a child under 15 is a felony, over 15 is just a misdemeanor. What? A minor crime. Is that still the case? I don't oh, know. God. This is only 2008, so I'm like, even then, that is... Ugh. So, at most, we're talking 12 months in jail, and that's a stretch. Hickey obviously knew this and waited until she was 15. Ew, you're disgusting. I hate you. Oh, my God. McDaniel had an idea, though. Hickey was in the Navy, and the military takes a much harsher approach to fucking creeps. The age of consent and the military under the Uniform Code of Justice is 16. They brought in special agent Dana Shutt, who handled crimes against children under NCIS. Megan gave a sworn statement, and the Navy started their own investigation. Knowing he could face military charges and spend years in jail, Megan's stress level dropped significantly. She started acting more like her old self, but as the investigation dragged on, she had new concerns and asked Sergeant McDaniels if he thought that Hickey could come back and kill her. Sad. It's sad for a 15-year-old to worry about this. That is sad. McDaniel told her that generally that's not how these cases go, so not to worry about it, but she became so paranoid. She was constantly looking out the window of their house and telling her parents she thought she saw him drive by, but they reassured her that that wasn't going to happen because if he got anywhere near her, he would be in far more trouble, and he knows that, so he's not going to do anything. Hell yeah. And then all of a sudden in April, this poor little girl, who was already a victim of a disgusting crime, is murdered. Yeah. The only person to gain anything from her death is Rob Hickey. He had everything to lose. Now that she's dead, his case essentially vanishes. He has the right to confront his accuser and can't do that anymore. So it's dismissed. Wait, excuse me? Yeah. But obviously a whole new investigation is beginning on him because he is undoubtedly the number one suspect. I mean, right, obviously. But I'm like, sorry, so you can't be charged with a crime against a child because the child end up, ends up dying. Right. What? Yeah. Okay. It's Screw essentially this. just vanishes. I know. So the day of Megan's murder, Chris points out that the footprints at the crime scene looks like a pair that Hickey used to wear to the gym. So the detectives call Hickey to come, to come in for questioning. He doesn't answer or call them back. So they go to his house. He's not there. No good. But as they're casing the place, they see him pull up in his family, his family van, wife and four kids in tow. They draw their guns because it was such a violent murder and tell him Megan Landowski has been murdered and they need him to come down to the station. And he falls to the driveway sobbing. Oh, God. They take him into custody and question him. And he says from the time he got up that morning to the time he was arrested, he was with someone. He was at work. He had marriage counseling with his wife, which that poor woman. He needs a whole bunch of other type of counseling, too. Let's throw that into the mix, too. Right, right. Dog. He's still crying during the questioning. He starts praying. He doesn't lawyer up. 
He gives them his DNA, which is rushed to testing, and there's no match. They are shocked. They thought this was impossible. There's no way he's not involved. So they looked into a murder for hire. No evidence, nothing of that. They looked into his wife, who also had a lot to lose. Nope, no match. What the fuck? So while Robert Hickey had all the motive in the world, he oddly enough had nothing to do with this. I knew you were going to say that. Mm -hmm. But it's not because you know the story. It's because you had a hunch. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, it's too obvious. Too too open and shut. Wait, Uh back-to-back, back-to-back military. Hey. I know. Hey, what up, what up? Unfortunately, they're they're creeps, but whatever. I mean, if y'all listened to last week's episode, mine also was military. And so I'm an aficionado of the court-martial law. There you go. He maintained his innocence about being sexually involved with her too, which is such bullshit. But overall, the investigation didn't look good to the Navy, so they gave him an other than honorably discharged and denied his pension. Oh, good. Yeah. Back to the drawing boards for the detectives who are more determined than ever to find her killer because not only is she a child, but they were working with her when she was alive. Like most detectives don't know the victims personally, but that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case here. So they were like very invested. They go back to the crime scene, which had a ton of evidence. They were sloppy. His or her blood was all over the place. They even had cement. <laughs> so tr- trying to throw y'all off by saying his or her blood, but the jig's up when I say they found yeah. cement. Y'all, it's a dude. <laughs> y'all, it's a guy. Jig's up. You were so sneaky then. Uh-huh. But you gave yourself up. You messed uh-huh. up. With that cement shit. Mm-hmm. Going back to the shoe print, it was determined that they were Air Force Ones. Now, this is not an adult shoe. No adult is rocking Air Force run- Ones. Okay. I would. <laughs> Hats up. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. I envision it. So cops start looking at people Megan went to school with, and McDaniel gets another lead about a kid in the same neighborhood as Megan who has those shoes in the same size range but seems very unlikely to Megan's parents. They said he was a young, shy kid who more so like tagged along with the others in the neighborhood. And it turns out this kid got the shoes from two cousins who left town shortly after Megan's murder and had outstanding warrants. Oh. So they were picked up by U.S. Marshals and taken back to Virginia and questioned. But their DNA did not match. They had never met Megan. They didn't even know a murder happened. It was all a huge coincidence. They had nothing to do with it. Oh, my God. I know. Megan didn't have one enemy. She had a ton of friends. She was very popular, but it, and except. <laughs> oh my God, what? I was about what? to say she was very popular, but accepted everyone. <laughs> I meant Anne. <laughs> Even though she was popular, she was actually nice to people. <laughs> so weird. I meant and accepted everyone. Sorry. She wasn't a mean girl to one person. So the cops were stuck. They pulled security footage on the day Megan was murdered to track her around the school and see if anyone was following her. Nothing. There was a remembrance tree planted for her at a local church, which got a ton of traffic. People were coming all over to visit this tree. So cops even put a hidden camera around it in hopes that the killer would come by, which was a creative tactic, but another dead end. Nothing. They went through her diary. Nothing. For the most part, it was all upbeat and happy. What teenager's diary is happy? Oh, my God. I know. I cringe at the thought of what my 14-year-old self put in writing. Oh, my God. I would love to see it. Yeah. 
But she did mention in her diary a guy named Donald, who she met during her rebellious stage, and her parents didn't approve of because he thought they thought that he was a bad influence. When police went looking for him, he happened to be in jail for driving without a license, so they didn't have to look too far. Great. Right off the bat, they found his behavior very strange. He's sobbing. He tells cops they started dating behind her parents' back, and in between cries, he keeps saying, she's my angel. I loved her to death. To death. Uh, Cop, yeah. uh The cops are like, all right, calm the fuck down. They asked him what he knew about the murder, and he says he heard that she was tied up with tape, which was not released to the public. And they really go in on him in this video interrogation. They tell him that's firsthand information and he's responsible, but he is freaking out, telling him he had nothing to do with it. They call bullshit. They get his DNA. No effing match. Something's wrong with the DNA. Donnie didn't do it. I was about to say, there's not a murderer like that named Donald. Get out of here. Get out of here. How how bad of an influence could Donald have been? (laughs) That's because like I'm not a murderer. I'm a guy who drives without a valid license. Give me a break. My name's Donald. So they do the DNA testing that can trace the killer's geographic ancestry, which was kind of new technology at this point. And they found 72% sub-Saharan African made up the makeup of this killer. So this guy would essentially identify as black. And everyone at this point they've questioned is white. So they have to rethink the entire thing and ask anyone in her life to provide DNA samples to be ruled out all over again. Megan took martial arts classes. Badass. That is badass. I know. No wonder she put up a fight. I bet she kicked some ass. Good for her. Aww. I know. And the owners are black and they were more than willing to provide DNA samples. No match. Any of their employees employees who fit the bill, they were willing to provide DNA. Nothing. Megan worked at a teen center, and they looked at a fellow counselor who Megan was friends with. Her parents knew him. They asked if he would provide his DNA sample, but he wasn't as cooperative as everyone else. He didn't trust police. He didn't want to work with them, didn't want to talk to them, which I don't 100% blame him for. But avoiding police and skipping your interview, which he did, does not help your case at all. No, it sure doesn't. But I also want to highlight the fact she worked at a teen center too she's so sweet so sweet Mm -hmm. um no that doesn't look good for teen Mm -mm. center friend Mm -mm. no Mm -mm. so they put him under surveillance and swabbed the outside of his car handle while he was in the teen center one day no match okay (laughs) the the dna is bad i don't know what happened but (laughs) dna is bad the science is failing DNA expired and something's wrong. So they go back to this poor, poor Donald character because of his behavior in the first interview. They're determined if he didn't do it, he knows who did. And I can kind of see where they're coming from. It's very, it's a little theatrical, but he has a teenage boy who's being questioned by three detectives in a small room about an ex-girlfriend's murder. He got so sick during the second interview, he asked the detective to feel his forehead to see if he was hot. And the detective's like, he says, I'm not a doctor. I'm not your mama. I'm not feeling your fucking forehead. He says that? Yeah. It is. That actually does show me how, like, what a baby he is. I know. He's like, I'm not kidding, man. Can you feel my forehead? Do I need to go to the hospital? He's, like, so flustered. (laughs) The detective, like, gently puts his cheek against (laughs) his forehead. And then 
and then gives him a little kiss. And it's like, it does feel like you're a little feverish, buddy. And then Donnie's like, that feels better. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Donald. Oh, no. Teddy bear and a thermometer. And leave him alone. Quit Give him his pinky and leave him alone. <laughs> And the cops do eventually leave him alone and realize this kid had nothing to do with it. He is far from a cold-blooded murder. Oh, my God. He can't even get through a fever. (laughs) (laughs) So the school year came around, and there were no new leads. And just as they thought the case was about to go cold, the detectives get a call from a bus driver. So they brought her in, and apparently this boy very obviously had a crush on Megan, and the bus driver even told this kid, like, she's not into you. It'll end in heartache. Leave her alone. This bus driver just getting involved in everyone's business. I mean, wow. She must hear a lot of shit, though. I know. She's like, hey, can I talk to you? I'm sick of hearing about this. Right. Leave her alone. So the kids, they asked for this kid's name, and his name is Robert Barnes, who was a part of that exclusive arts program with Megan. He was apparently a phenomenal violinist, and there's talk of him going to Juilliard. Megan's parents and friends remember him as being all around a great kid. I mean, he is a violinist at age 16, for Christ's sake. Yeah, it's good. So detectives talk to him, and he's giving no strange vibes. They ask for his DNA sample, and he asks if he can talk to his mom about it first, which is nothing out of the ordinary. That's exactly what they were expecting, and that's what everyone's done. He's a child. So they yeah. said, sure, sure, and let him go. A few days later, Robert calls McDaniel and says that he has new information about Megan. So they meet up, and Robert tells him that he remembers Megan being afraid of someone. Now, this info was all over the news already. The Rob Hickey pedophile story was blowing up after her death everywhere. Uh, So McDaniel was like, yeah, we already knew that. Everyone does, but thanks. Oh, and hey, while I have you, did you ask your mom about submitting some DNA? And Robert said he hasn't yet, but he doesn't think it will be a big deal and offers to give McDaniels the gum he was chewing. And Sergeant McDaniels knows that's better than a swab. So he's like, F yeah, I'll, I'll take that. So it's rushed to the lab for expedited testing. And McDaniel gets a call at 9 p.m. that night from the lab technician who asks the name of the suspect she's testing. And he says, Robert Barnes, pay pay attention, you dumb bitch, or I'll ruin your career. I'm just kidding. You'll never work in this town again with questions like that. (laughs) So he says, Robert Barnes. And she tells him, no, no, this gum belongs to a female. He switched him. Let me explain how DNA testing works, Robbie. Oh, my God. These are all children. Like, they just have no idea. I'm like, it can, can identify traits down to your eye color and height. I bet gender is the first thing that comes back. Come on. Wait, that is so funny. Yeah, and McDaniel never did seem to actually spit out the gum. He apparently was grabbing a latex glove for him to spit it in. So when he turned his back, it's presumed that Robert had another one chewed another chewed piece somewhere and pulled the old switcheroo. Oh my God. He just like went up to one of his girlfriends and was like, Hey, can you chew this real quick and then spit it in my hand? Yeah. Either that or, you know, grabbed one from under a desk. I don't know. They're at a school. No, Whatever. no just, it wouldn't have to be. Yeah, uh, obviously. obviously. <laughs> you thought I was being serious. I'm no. sorry. It was not a hard piece of gum. Gross. <laughs> so needless to say, they call him in for an interview and they tell him that that gum belonged to a girl, so fess up. And he had the whole, he had quite the story, and it's one we've all heard before. He admits at, to being at Megan's house the day she was murdered, 
but he said he walked into her house and there was already an intruder there. And the intruder had a gun and he made Robert tie Megan up, have sex with Megan. And then the intruder stabbed Megan and then kindly asked Robert to stick out his arm where the murderer, the cold-blooded murderer, pricks his little finger. And he dumps Robert's blood all over the crime scene. This is so good. I know. They let him go on for five hours before calling his bullshit. And before detectives got too far into accusing him, Robert's mom, who's also in the room, puts a stop to the interview and asks if he's under arrest, knowing that if he's not, he's she's going to request an attorney and get him the fuck out of there. He, she let that go five hours? I know. Was, he's just like digging a hole. And he's like, then a bird came in. Well, they made him... They made him think that they were believing him, being like, okay, like McDaniel's standing up, being like, all right, so here's me. What is he my height? Is he looking? So the mom's probably like, holy shit, they're buying it. Oh my God, they're both stupid. Oh, I just can't. I don't know. So the lead investigator who's outside but listening to this entire interview is just waiting on the warrant. And he finally gets it. So he rushes in there, interrupts Mrs. Barnes. It's like, excuse me, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I just want to quickly uh, introduce myself. I'm the lead investigator. Robert, you're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. It is like the fastest. He's like, say no more. Don't ask, don't ask for an attorney. He like quickly gets in there. How like, exciting. It was exciting. In the nick of time, too. Uh-huh. Because it was Miss Barnes was being like, wait, wait, wait. No, I just want you to say if he's under arrest in this very moment right now. The lead investigator is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain Yeah, <laughs> so, good. I know. This did start somewhat of an uproar in the community. He was very talented, zero criminal record, an incredible student, and a lot of people thought it was a rush to judgment and the police were pegging it on any black guy who's in Megan's life. But my God, his DNA is all over that place. It's his blood. It's his footprints. It's his shoes. All of which he admits, but he's saying he was forced to do it by a third party. Come on. And he wasn't quick to tell that story when they were asking him in the first place. And he, what he was quick to do is take some girl's gum to try to fool him. I mean, right. come on. But he's, but he's good at the violin. <laughs> right. But he's talented. He's a, come on. But all of this uproar was put to rest when they did the old computer search history. <sighs> per uh, usual. Per usual. He was very into this fantasy world on the dark web of breaking into people's houses and raping women. He even told people in the chat room he killed someone, which sure could be big talk trying to impress people, but highly unlikely when your blood is actually all over a crime scene. Yeah. They also found a newspaper article in his room of an elderly woman who was raped while being robbed. A separate story happened somewhere else. And he photoshopped his own picture on top of the mugshot. Oh my God. I'm thinking not only did the cops get the right guy, but they probably called a potential serial killer because this has all the makings of someone who is not going to do it just the one time. Yeah. And after he murdered Megan, he went straight to orchestra practice and acted completely normal. So doesn't seem like he had very, there's, there's no remorse there. He agreed to a plea deal that would ensure that he would be tried as a juvenile. He was 17 at this time. So I guess he could have been charged as an adult and he pled guilty to sexual assault and murder, which Why is it sexual assault? She was raped. I don't know. But he pled guilty to sexual assault and murder, and he got 42 years in prison, which Megan's family was okay with because they didn't want to live through a trial. They didn't want to hear all the gruesome details. So they're at peace with it. 
And that's the brutal story of Megan Landowski. He sits serving his time, no parole. He's 42 years behind bars. Wait, has he ever come clean about the story? Like how he actually walked out of the house covered in blood in broad daylight? No, he's and never the- come clean with shit. He got his plea deal based on what he's told him. He pled guilty and that's it. He's, no. Well, oh my God. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. I really thought it was Rob Hickey. Why do I know that name? How excited was Robert Barnes probably when after this murder and the Rob Hickey stuff started coming out? He was probably like, holy shit. They're going to peg it on this guy. Yeah. Like he had no idea. I'm like, oh man. Poor Megan, the victim of so many heinous crimes. Oh, my God. Um, it is shocking that it wasn't that pedophile, actually. I know. It was so shocking. And they had so many you know, viable suspects, and uh, none of them panned out. It was just this very talented, very smart, good student kid. Oh, my God. What the hell is his problem? What the hell is anyone's problem? The, did the whole courtroom bust out a violin, a tiny violin? <laughs> <laughs> they should have. They definitely should have. During his five-hour story, all the detectives should have. (laughs) Just butchering it, really pissing him off, being like, you're not getting the right notes. (laughs) Yeah. Let me do it. (laughs) Just give me that fucking violin. Man. Crazy. Damn. Okay, that's that. So just real quick on my note, speaking of murders, I listened to our... Tim Hennis episode last night. Mm-hmm. It was just released. And I did want to note that I also don't think he was making those crude phone calls to Gary oh, yeah. and Katie. When I was listening to it, I was like, wait, we never like readdressed that. That was never proven. We don't know who did that. But those I know. Well, that was, those started before Tim even knew Katie, right? Exactly. So we yeah. like, that was just a weird. No. I, I when I was fine. listening to it, I was like, wait, we never even like talked about the phone calls. Whatever. Um, no, that's fine. All right, thank y'all. If you liked it, you know, hit that five star for us. Yeah, review, subscribe, join our Patreon. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.